Yeah, I don't want that. I don't even know that. I'm looking at Nobody ever knows what he's looking at. Imagine wearing an Adam King shirt. That's the intro. That's the perfect intro right there. I'm telling you. He's even got his number on the back. Oh my. Hey, he's advertising himself. Anyways, anyways, anyways. I got a shirt. Uh, Lab Zero, episode 1-4. Big 1-4. My name is uh, Levi Opitz. I'm joined by Antonio Bianchi, Dave Kasai, Norman King, Lab 14. We made it to this one. So, we're going to talk about NASCAR. We're going to talk about F1. Indy at Barber. Is that right? Is that right, Norman? Indy uh, at Barber? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, we're going to start off a little bit of NASCAR. Um, I think Antonio, he's usually the old NASCAR feller to, to let us in on that. So, Dover, baby. Dover, baby. Dover, baby. Boy, do we have not that much to talk about, to be entirely honest. Actually, there's a few things to talk about. a little bit. Let's let's do the basics. Let's, let's run through the, the, the results and see how we do. So, uh, good old qualifying. Freaking Kyle friggin' Bush put that thing on pole. <laughs> good old Chevy Power. Yeah. Um, freaking Kyle friggin' Kyle Bush. Kyle friggin' Bush, bro. Anyways, good old Chevy uh, qualified that thing <laughs> on pole. Stage one, taken by another Chevy, Willie B. Uh, stage two, Ross Chastain, another Chevy. Yeah, stage Ross two. Chastain, uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, yeah, favorite guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and the uh, race, the final stage, was uh, won by stage winner, MTJ. Yeah, my we haven't heard in a while. So that was, that was cool. Dude, yeah. I was gonna, I, you know what I was thinking the whole time as he went? I was like, you know what, man? Levi was saying this. He'd been saying this. MTJ is going to get it, and he got it at a track Classic. that he's always good at for some reason. So that was cool to see. Love to see him back up there at the, uh, at the front. But uh, roll it back a bit. Um, not only did Truex win the uh cup race but a true x also won the xfinity race which was cool to see i don't know if you guys saw that ryan true x jr also won uh i say also not that they're the same person but also as in another true x won the xfinity race are they related they am i supposed to are, know that? i don't know yeah. how i'd i'd no man i just work here so anyways like like they're related in an ancestry.com kind of way <laughs> or they like go to the same I mean, in that case me and you are probably related i'm just kind of way I mean, yeah, we're from <laughs> Texas, and Texas and Oklahoma. It all just, uh, <laughs> makes Ryan, no Ryan freaking y'all. Yeah, Ryan Trix no, is just the younger brother. To everyone immediately around yeah, his brother, you. His brother sweet, man. Same household. Yeah, yeah Ryan Trix is the younger brother too, Martin Trix. So, Crazy. that's cool. All right. Cool to see. Uh, but rolling it forward again, back into the race. Um, I guess there's one main topic of discussion. Uh, well, two, I should say. One, I was really happy to see the tires wearing out. That was awesome. That made it a race. Guys were running on cords. You know, cords. stuff yeah, was cords. happening. It was awesome. That was great. That's what we want to see every week. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, maybe not like Daytona or something, but you get what I'm saying. We want to see tire wear. That always makes good runs. Always makes good racing. Um, where the tires wear and the pace changes over the duration of the run. But uh, no, the other main topic of discussion for the race, though, was uh, Ross Chastain ran over, I believe it was, I don't care, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Brendan Poole. B pool. I know that was his name. Anyways, long story yeah, short, yeah. uh, two lappers running side by side, Austin Dillon, Brandon pool running into, uh, can't remember if it was turn three or turn one. I believe it was three. might've been one. Anyways, long story short, uh, Ross Chastain, give him the old, he, he did more than a bump and run, bro. He bumped and sent his ass into the corner 
And uh, let's just say Brandon was not very impressed as we were 80 laps into a 400 lap race. Um, looking at it, um, I try to not destroy Ross Chastain, um, but sometimes he does it to himself. He did apologize for it, but there's only so much apologizing you can do in that situation. Uh, he's definitely had his fair share of wrecks this year. As a, uh, Definitely, there's been times where he's been at fault and other times where people have just called him at fault because, you know, his reputation and stuff. Yeah. Um, whether it was an incident or not, um, I'd say it's definitely something that needs to be uh, figured out because, um, you know, you can't be doing this with that kind of reputation. Yeah. And I think it, Levi's it, got something to say. Yeah, not, not to mention, I mean, he takes out Kyle Larson was the fastest um, car on the track at the time. You know what I mean? He was he was coming up through there. Um, but yeah, I think after some point you hate NASCAR getting involved, but they're getting involved in everything else, right? With all the, you know, retesting of the cars and taking them back to R&D and all this other crap that they're doing. You got a guy out there that's taking out cars. And it's not like you said, some of them are questionable, whatever the case may be, but there's a majority of them that are just him taking people out. Yeah, it keeps happening time and time again. I didn't see a lot of the race. I saw the right as right as that incident happened. And I don't there's no excuse. There and I'm not big into the NASCAR stuff, but he literally just drove over him. Yeah, it's honestly, um, like with a reputation like that, you can't you can't be doing that every week. Um not I say every week. I mean, you get what I'm saying when I say that. It's he he's just done too many things that you do something like that. And I also I, f- I forgot I failed to mention for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, I forgot to mention Brendan Poole did come up and end up taking out Kyle Larson, who at the time was probably the fastest car on track. So you can understand why there's probably backlash from fans in that regard. Not just because of oh he took out a car. It was oh he took out a car who also in term even though Larson was in the wrong place at the wrong time got took out a you know fast car right so that was uh, a lot of the reason why people were upset about it too and a little bit of a side tangent if i remember right brandon pool in his interview was like didn't even like seem upset mad played the the nice guy card in the interview tried to play it off like he didn't know what happened or why it happened it, it, he did end though with, on one of his interviews. I don't know which one it was. It might have been on the track or later, but he said somebody needs it. He might get his butt whooped uh, towards self. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's it's bound to bound to happen at some point. I actually got a uh, one one more topic on NASCAR as well before we switch it up to a very event filled weekend, especially for Norman. Um, Legacy Motor Club, the team that Jimmy Johnson and I can't remember who else was uh, making merging to make, um, but they have switched it's, or I, not switch. I, I think it's old Richard Petty, right? The oh old yeah, Richard yeah, Petty yeah, it's Petty. I'm yeah, not no, sure you're totally right. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It's Petty. I, my my fault. I totally forgot about that. So yeah, you're Jimmy good. and Petty merged to make uh, Legacy Motor Club, and they will be going to Toyota next season. And this is odd i mean that 43 car has now probably been every manufacturer that's ever been at nascar not only that but uh at the same time this is going to be really crucial for toyotas because they have now potentially two more cars um and that means a lot you know in super speedways and stuff when they all pit together because 
I don't know. I mean, I'm sure as everyone's noticed, Toyota's always been lacking in the sense of they don't have the manufacturer support on track, especially at plate tracks. You really notice it. Um, and so I think having two additional cars is huge. Uh, it might not sound like a lot when you think that Chevy and Ford have, you know, probably respectively about 15 to 16 each. Uh, I don't actually know the true numbers, so I apologize. I'm making that up. Um, but you know what I mean? It makes a huge difference compared to what do they got now? Like six or seven? I don't even know what it is. If that. Yeah. I don't I know, like, think there's too many. That's, that's their lacking hugely. Um, and like guy, you say, four with Joe Gibbs, three with, um, 23 racing. And then I think they have a, a couple other cars out there. Yeah. Not that's a whole lot. Yeah. And that's another thing. I think this team with Jimmy Johnson, I think he's going to be in the league a long time as an owner. Um, so I think that two-car team probably turns into four at some point. I don't I don't see that not happening, especially with it being kind of two teams together, especially if they get a vacuum, you know, where they're the kind of main, one of the main cars on, on a, on a uh, manufacturer like that. I'm hoping to see that. But like you said, going back and just kind of a little little shot at uh, Petty, ain't, they're much, they ain't much left to Petty. At Petty Enterprises or whatever they're calling it now, uh, unfortunately, yeah. um, like you said, it's just kind of been the the uh, they've been given out to every everything everywhere, not much of it. So, anyways, yeah, Dover as a whole, I think it was a I think it was a pretty good race. I mean, just wrapping it up, uh, I, I like you said, the tires falling off was really good. You're actually seeing drivers drive. You're actually seeing people lose it. I saw Brad K up there in the top five and he just completely washed out and almost wrecked his car on the tires the after that first caution bush not taking tires and what went from first to 25th yeah yeah so he was in like 15th to 18th or somewhere like that took no tires went to the front thought he could hold out as you know we all have in our racing and people do all the time in racing you you need better uh position you're hoping for a caution Maybe make it last to the next tire run. It did not work out. And then got, got passed by his teammate coming to the end of the stage, losing out on the um Lucky Dog. Yeah. 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 It was, it was you roll those dice and once you're in it, you're in it. You, there's nothing you can do. You come down, you're gonna go two laps down, so you just stay out there. And it, it's frustrating. I've been there. Um in the sim. I I give the guy credit. He knew they rolled the dice. He knew they failed. He did not try to hold anyone up. Yeah, I noticed that. He was he was being very, very nice, letting people around and uh, that kind of stuff. So that's good. But yeah, um, the only other thing I've got to say, and it is and back to our We're the Safety podcast, I think so we should change our name to. But um, I don't know if anybody saw the 21 car actually spun coming onto pit road behind Truex. Uh, killed it sideways in pit road, blocking pit road. Luckily, nobody was coming. NASCAR did not throw a caution, let him fire it up, do a 360, and get rolling. What do y'all think about that? You know what? I'm not going to lie. I was looking at that, too, and I was like, I was like, they'd be throwing cautions for a car that stalled in the middle of pit yep. road out of the way. But something like that happens, and you're like, without opening a big can of worms, like, how is that not a caution? I don't understand. The consistency behind it is just not there. Ever. Ever. Like, I, I don't get it. That's what I was going to say, Antonio, that it's like, it's not about if I think there was, should have been a costume or not. It's that like NASCAR has been so inconsistent. It's so unpredictable. You'd like the caution comes out when it can spice things up. It seems like, you know what I mean? 
Um, anyway, yeah. I yeah, agree. I yeah, it's just, I think it's, it's all about optics. I, I agree. I just, I haven't fully watched full races and stuff, but from what I hear and what I've seen in the past, it, it's like something happens and they flip the coin, heads is caution, tails is not. And we don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, because like you say, down the middle of pit road, I don't understand. At the front of pit road, <laughs> if they would have thrown a caution, I would not have been upset with NASCAR there. But that's just me. We saw it at Bristol. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just have to see as it's going, moving forward, you know. We'll just have to see if maybe they get better. But I mean, uh, I don't know if it's actually a topic anywhere, but with us, for some reason, I don't know. Everybody's used to it or I don't know. Anyways. Even stepping out of like the fact of, you know, we're fans that, who know a lot more about racing than, you know, 90% of the other fans out there because we've actually raced. And it's just, I don't know, from a, even looking at it, like the guys that don't know anything about racing are looking at it and being like, why the hell is that not a caution? Like that should tell you something. It's just, it's frustrating to see the inconsistency. I, I know it's a big thing in, in all sporting organizations that you're probably never going to get away from because... We see it with, you know, just human inconsistencies. Like we even see it in our, in our league zero, uh, stewards. When we, when we, uh, review incidents, you see it all the time. We go look at a wreck and then, you know, we might look at it the next day and be like, man, how did we think that was on that guy when it's actually on this guy? Like, you know what We're I mean? Human, man. One day it looks like something. Yep. The other day it looks like something else. Um, but at the same time, it's like, there's things like that, that that's an easy thing to be consistent on. And I think that's where you really lose out. It's not really like, um, and this is more bouncing towards F1, you know, F1 where there's those wrecks that go either way. And it's one of those ones where it's like, well, it's 50, 50 on who it could go after. And, you know, it goes after one guy and whatever, like, you know, I get that there's inconsistencies in that sense, but those, I think we're able to be a little more forgiving on something like this is so easy to not be consistent, inconsistent on. And I think if you fix the little things like that, that's where you get rid of that getting labeled as inconsistent. Cause I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. NASCAR is like literally the absolute worst, like worse than formula one, even with all of the 2021 that went on with F1 and everything else. I, I promise you NASCAR is the absolute worst for inconsistency. Penalties are never the same. Nothing. You, you get the gist. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, we'll just have to keep watching, um, as we move forward here, but moving forward, Antonio raced. Uh, did you race this weekend? What what happened here? I did. I did. We finally got out for the first race. Um, I told you guys back on, I think it was supposed to be April 8th was our first race. And we didn't end up getting out to that one due to the rain and stuff. So we finally made it out this past weekend, April 29th, Saturday. Uh, made it down to good old Monroe, Washington, uh, Evergreen Speedway. Uh, running out in the good old number 51 legend car that's got no sponsor. So feel free to reach out to me uh, at AntonioBianchi51 at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> leave comments but, uh, you can comment down here he'll he'll actually contact you <laughs> yeah I'll contact you better yet even <laughs> uh, anyways nah man we uh we had a bit of a rough weekend I'm happy to say that the car came home in one piece we didn't break anything so that was awesome um no mechanical failures nothing crazy like that we just missed the setup entirely um it's been a struggle this last uh, last year and so far, I guess, starting into this year. We cannot loosen this car to save uh, our lives. And the, the Legends are known to be typically a little bit tighter and twitchy uh, the, just because the short wheelbase, they're only a 10.5-foot wheelbase, so they're quite t twitchy cars, um, and they're naturally tight. 
but ours is like atrociously tight. You get this like mid corner push that progressively just gets worse throughout the run. Um, so we went through first practice. Uh, I don't know if it was a glitch in the thing or if I just had one of those laps that you just slid it perfectly through the corner and pulled something out of your ass that was like three tenths, you know, faster than what it should have been. Uh, so I ran fifth uh, fastest and there was 35 cars in total there. I was fifth fastest in practice for one, which was crazy. Uh, we went out to practice two. We ended up like 20th or something. Uh, made some changes, didn't help, went the wrong way. Um, went out for qualifying. I qualified, I think it would have been E 19th. Um, so that put us into a B main. They take the top 16, throw them into the A main. The rest go to a B in the top four transfer. So it's quite an intense B main, as you can imagine, because there's quite yeah. literally like, what what would that be? There's like 15 or 16 of us fighting over four spots. Uh, so I was running in third for the start of the race. Uh, the guy on the outside got around me on the restart. Unfortunately, it wasn't a whole lot I could do. Um, and then I ran around fourth for most of the race. We had a couple cautions. I had a near miss with another guy too, who went for a spin and guys, cars checking up in front of me, but we ended up getting through it. And then towards the end of the run, my car had this really bad push on corner exit. As soon as you got on the power, it would just like shoot up the track and open the door. And unfortunately I just couldn't hold those guys off for the entire race. And they just, one guy got by me and second one wrote right, went right with them. So I think we ended up coming out sixth in the B main, so didn't, failed to make the A. But, you know, we learned a lot, um, hoping to get out there um, again for this next race coming up. Uh, not ne- uh, not this weekend coming up, next one. Um, I think I'm going to eventually start filming, like, uh, I might start making YouTube videos or videos just kind of show people what it's like to progress your way through the field. Um, I think a lot of the times when you go look up YouTube footage of people, you're always watching guys at the front, and they don't really show you the struggles as much except for when they wreck. Uh, whereas for us, it's like, hey, we're literally learning. We don't know what the hell we're doing. I mean, other than what we've learned in lower sports. And it's uh, it's quite a different world coming from somewhere where you're winning a lot or, or, or we're winning or doing well. And now you're jumping into something higher and you have to now work your way from literally like the 30s. And, you know, a top 20 starts becoming good. Top 15 starts becoming good. Top 10 start becoming meaningful. Then you get in top fives and it really starts progressing from there. So it's a uh, going to be a fun journey i'm hoping this year we can you know get it sorted out and next year be super competitive uh that would be the ideal scenario so that's pretty much my weekend wrapped up that's awesome man you do have one sponsor it just doesn't pay very well lab zero podcast i got hey man i got team goon squad on the car car. i I, I forgot about that i don't know how i forgot to to freaking shout that out bro we had the number 51 uh team goon squad legend car we did uh great this weekend shout out to our boys at tgs uh what is it team goon squad.com or something like that uh team goon squad you nailed it Teamgoonsquad.com. Check our check our boys out. Love them. Uh, we'll always have them on the car. They don't actually pay me money to shout them out. By the way, I promise you. I just throw the sticker on the car because I like the guys. So check them good out, dudes. Cool dudes. Well, uh, good job on that, Antonio. Hopefully everything will come out better for you. Get that car loosened up. You know what I mean. Keep trucking. We love you, bud. You know we love the team. We love you, Dad. We love everybody over there. <laughs> over there at the Fifty One Squad. Oh yeah, I'm gonna start intro myself like that. Yeah. Hi guys, Tony Bianchi, driver of the number 51 legend car. Yeah. <laughs> the team Good Squad. The last car talk. <laughs> Lots of your podcast. Yeah. Shout out to my dad. Yeah, shout out to my dad. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. Whoa. Crew chief, hollow driver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, keep uh, trucking. So, hope you get up, loose. Yeah, get, yeah, get loose, bro. Get loose. Anyway, he's going to roll into F1 at Baku. Azerbaijan uh, Grand Prix. I there was some there were some exciting moments, but for 
for the most part, I feel like it got locked in um, after Perez got in the front, you know, and then and then uh, Max found a way around Leclerc. It just kind of there was a there was a there was a good uh, DRS train mid pack, but there wasn't all that much passing going on. Overall, decent. Um, I don't know. So biggest deal that was the change this weekend was the uh, sprint shootout. I think uh, sprint shootout and the sprint race itself on Saturday. Um, I was not impressed. What What are y'all's thoughts on the whole sprint shootout and the sprint uh, sprint uh, race itself on Saturday? Antonio, I'll I, start with you. I've got a bunch of hands up. Everybody's going yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from absolutely losing my mind, but I think the sprint format is terrible. I don't like it. Um, I do think one thing that could fix it would be a reverse grid. I really think that would fix and make the sprint race something worth watching. Nobody's going to go tear up their car for one point per position. It's not worth it. Um, you know, we're at a track that's draft heavy. You can get in trains really easy. It's it's not a track to be, one, doing a sprint race at, and two, it's never going to be exciting until they add some sort of element to shake up the field. Like, I think they thought Saturday qualifying would make a difference, but... When you do the two sessions back to back, did, did you really expect the outcome to be much different? I don't yeah. know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy on it. I mean, o overall, I mean, we tend to have boring races in F1 here and there. It's not abnormal for it to happen. Uh, but this one, even with the sprint format being boring, I, I think that's a failure on their part. I mean, we know it's built for entertainment, so I thought it was quite odd that uh, they did this unique format that they released like maybe what 72 hours before the weekend started, if even. So I don't know. I, I personally, I'm not a fan, but I'd, I think they can improve or make adjustments to improve it overall. I thought it was the worst Formula One weekend I've ever had so far. I haven't been in the sport like I wasn't around during the indie strike or whatever, but I thought this. I thought. And I'm not. I'm really not being dramatic. I thought the whole sprint shootout qualifying thing was just kind of hard to follow and pointless. And um, it was just cars going vroom around a track. It was like, what are we doing? And then, and I had high hopes for the race. And it's one of the first Formula One races I've just tuned out for. Like, like I don't know, like twenty something laps in, I was. I was tuned out, man. I, I watched the whole race, but like I was on my phone. I was like t talking to my, my wife, like playing with my kid, which is a good thing. But usually I'm like glued, like, like, no, no, don't talk to me right now. I'm watching Formula One. But that race was just like, and if you look at the lap chart, the lap chart is just straight lines after about lap 20 something or whatever. It's just, it was, it was horrible. It was boring. I don't know. I really didn't like it. I'll, I'll straight up. I had a bad time this weekend with Formula One. I think that's fair. Norman, do you have a, any, I know you were at the track a lot. I don't know how much you got to actually see of it. I did not this weekend. I got to see qualifying for the main race and the main race. I did not see anything for the sprint, but from what I've kind of heard, it wasn't much. I think, what was it, Russell and Max or Russell and Perez what got together or something? Yeah, I 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was for Stop and, and uh, Russell. That was something that came out of it. They they did get into it a little bit. Um, so Russell was trying to say that when you when you inside car at the apex, the outside car has to give way, which I think is just not true, especially in F1. Um, we've yeah. seen it every which way but loose kind of thing. So that's BS. Uh, I think he didn't... He, if you watch him as in-car cam, and I'm just probably going into way too much detail for this one little thing, but he was complete lock at Apex, so that means he was done. You, you don't go complete lock at Apex. You're 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 over-exaggerating. Car's not rotating. He slid out, bumped. Luckily, it was... I thought it was wheel-to-wheel when I first watched it, but apparently by Max's car, and his side pod ripped, um, what, a good six, maybe eight, ten inches, uh, that it wasn't. Um, they actually got into each other. I mean... He ended up getting back around him and everything. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those that, uh, I don't Hamilton, or, uh, not Hamilton, sorry, sorry, sorry. Russell didn't want to take any, he didn't think he was wrong at all. Uh, Max tried to talk to him after the race, and he ended up walking off. Of course, Max, you know, yelled at him kind of as he's walking off one of those, well, if that's the way you want to race, then I'll remember that kind of thing. Um you really can't do that like you can do in stock car racing. It's like, what's he going to do? Go out and, you know, bump and run or something later. It's yeah, not like right. That. Yeah, it's not an option. But that's I like get what he's saying. a half a million dollars. Yeah. But at the same time, somebody like Max saying, oh, that's how we're going to race you. Well, I mean, dude, you race anybody any the way you want to. I mean, you don't really care either way. So it's not like you're going to change anything either. Uh, it was kind of, you know, just falling on deaf ears for me. Uh, but anyways, yeah, as far as the, if it, I don't know is what it is. I did not like him very much. Yeah, regarding that contact with uh with George and uh and what's his name there, Max. I uh I do know a lot of guys were it, it was funny that I was reading the comments after on, on a lot of the F one posts and there it's actually pretty split. I think it's uh you're either a Max fan or you're a George fan and there's no you can't really pick uh get it sorry, you gotta pick between the two. Um and it was, it was funny. I, I know a lot of Prince George comments were going around, or Princess George comments were going around, and a lot of, you know, like, oh, it's a, he's a Verstappen, of course, he's angry about it. Uh, what's going on? But come on, man. At the end of the day, these guys are, these guys fight, fight so hard to get to the top of the sport. You, you're going to be upset when you're rubbing wheels with someone, especially, you know, someone in Max's position. I mean, he's a two-time world champion. I don't blame him for being a little bit upset that uh, George was sneaking his way in there after the history that he had with uh, Boltaz and, you know, other people as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's whatever, man. I don't, I don't, I'm not really too pressed about it. It was just kind of funny to watch the whole thing, uh, play out. Yeah. That's the bad thing about the competition that we have right now. It's, it didn't change anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, the two cars get into each other and they still kind of, you know, all even out by the end of it. Um, yeah, I think that's probably enough on the whole sprint shootout weekend. Um, I think we're all. It, it just in, felt silly. No, I'm not done. Oh, he's it, not done? It, Go. It felt silly, right? Like, what are we doing? Like, there was, it was like a procession. There wasn't, it didn't make, uh, the, the narrative didn't make sense. Like, if, if the Formula One weekend is a story, like, right now you get, like, FP1, FP2. You get FP3. You get you make assumptions the whole time. Like the Ferraris are fast in FP1, and then like everyone's like, "Oh, was Ferrari gonna do good?" And then like Red Bulls inevitably fast in FP3 or whatever. Like okay, we're back to reality. 
sometimes we get a magic moment in qualifying. Like, I don't know, this sprint shootout, it was too much for me to digest. And I'll give it credit. If there's people out there that liked it, then, you know, maybe it was just too much for me personally. But point is, is like when I went like Formula One as a central time zone American is like a, it's a weekend thing. Like it, it's on at three in the morning sometimes. So like you wake up, you eat breakfast, you watch, you know, practice, or if it's on Friday and you work, you come home from work and watch practice or you watch it all on Saturday morning, you have some time to digest it. But like this weekend was just so dense. It was just like a crazy amount of cars on track for like, we don't really know why. And it was kind of all boring. So like if it was all badass racing, I would be like, nice, you know, like, cool. That was a lot of cool racing, but it was just processional and I don't know, kind of lame. Yeah, no, the, uh, the weekend flow definitely felt disrupted with, uh, like how, how that, that sprint format was integrated. I, I did think it was quite strange. I mean, it might be just cause you know, I'm on the West coast. So the, the race started at like four in the morning or something. So I think the, uh, the sprint race ended up happening at like one thirty in the morning or something crazy like that. But I, I do get what you mean. I mean, I'm willing to give the format another shot somewhere else, maybe where there's more action. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think they do got to do some, make some adjustments to that format just to make it a little bit more interesting, make that sprint race matter a bit more other than, you know, a point or two per position kind of thing. Right. So I think a, a reverse grid would definitely help, uh, benefit them in their, you know, in their favor to make it more uh, exciting and, you know, just, I think it would be better overall. I think drivers would like it more. They'd be willing to push a little bit harder. Um, it just felt strange. I, I do think they need more practice as well. Um, but you know, without touching on that too much, I think you get, you get the gist of where I was going yeah, with it. Yeah. It's, it for sure felt disjointed from the rest of the weekend. It was like, we're starting the weekend. Now nah, we're going to go do something else on Saturday. And then we're, hey, we're back for the weekend again. Um, so yeah, like I said, we got, I think, five more of these going. Hopefully, they'll figure out something to make it a little more um, togetherness. I don't know, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, I think that we need to figure out Park Ferme. Yeah. I think it was, I didn't, like I said, I only saw qualifying in the main race. I didn't see anything with the sprint. But during the race, they were still talking about how Park Ferme was just messed up. Yeah, so Toto Wolf was the biggest one that was yelling about that, but that's because Mercedes isn't winning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he was saying that you know they they tried to get the setup on the car right, didn't get it right. Park Ferme, uh, Park Ferme set in after the first practice when you start qualifying, it's it's pretty much crushed. So you, you know Friday on, um, you're done with with uh, changing your car, even if you know what to do to make it better. I think they should open it back up during qualifying Saturday morning and then for race trims, kind of like as soon as that clock stops and we go, you know, red flag at the last uh, shootout quality, then th then it stops. I don't know if that's enough time or would even help the teams because that shootout uh, quality, quality thing was really, really fast. But anyways, enough on that. Um, we're going to move on to the uh, Grand Prix itself on Sunday. Um start i mean it was exciting there was cars going all over the place they were they were doing a lot of passing um like i said before once once everybody lined out it was pretty straightforward um everybody tried to make a big deal about the uh number stopping coming in for you know tires right before the uh the uh pit stops or whatever um but i don't think i think they tried to make it more exciting than it actually was I don't think it was that big of a deal. Um, and like you say, I think Dave 
touched on it. A few people, other people touched on it. It, it, uh, it leveled out and everything just went pretty much like you thought it would. A uh, few things to touch on the, uh, Aston Martins didn't look as good as usual. I think that's, I think we're going to see that at the street courses for some reason, not, not to do with the drivers itself. I just don't think that car sets up as well. Um, of course, Perez killed it as usual. I mean, he's like street, street course God at this point. Um, and then, um, I mean, besides that, Ocon and another one made it, I think all the way through the race on, on, uh, the hard tires. And then they had to come in, you know, cause that's, that's the ruling that you have to change your tires. Uh, Ocon comes to come in, come down pit road with like one or two left. And, uh, I think it was the last lap actually, because the Aston Martin or, uh, or, uh, Verstappen was getting ready to come across the start finish line. Media starts crossing the pit road to get pictures and photos and Ocon almost tattoos like five of them. Like they had to run back. I don't know if y'all saw that, but it's a big deal. They're going to make some new rulings. I think that gets yeah. into the, the safety side of our podcast again, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> the safety podcast. <laughs> but I, what was it? Red Bull was on the fence too, and they're not supposed to be on the fence. I know, but. I think that it would probably be crushed, especially now that uh, some media got almost, you know, lost their lives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least a few legs because he was he was coming down. He kind of had to wiggle. They jumped out of the way. Everything was good, but I'm um, sure that wasn't that big a deal. But it's in the books. Uh, as far as points go, I mean, here I go, and you know, I did my own Yuki Sonoda. Um, I was going to say we all sucked. I think I <laughs> I picked him to Bennett. And then what does he do? He gets a point. This man gets a point. <laughs> like, not only did he not bend it, he actually brought points back for Alphatari. So, hey, anyway. Levi, real quick, can I also remind you he bent it in the sprint race? Yeah, but that didn't count, you know? <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. You missed I mean, it. Mine were, mine were inverted, dude. I picked Leclerc to bend it, and he did the best. He would have been he would have been the win it pick, of course. I yep. picked Russell to win it, and he sucked. And I picked signs to be in it, and I mean, like, I guess you could say he was in him, but I don't know, man. Mine, mine were inverted, so I got a crisp zero. Yep, yep, yep. But uh, I know you got the signs point. I got oh, Leclerc yeah, to win it. I got Other the zero. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. But yeah, we'll update those uh, those points on our, uh, I think later on here, we'll we'll do our uh, our uh, bin it, in it, win it um, later on in the podcast, but uh well, yeah, Formula One, good weekend um, to eat some chips on the couch, at least for me. Um, but I guess moving on to Barber, we're extremely excited to have the driver of the number three HMD Motorsports, Indy Next Car, Mr. Josh Green, is with us um, here to talk about all things motorsport. But particularly, we wanted to hear um, his take on Barber this weekend, which he did uh, perform in. Uh, and did so well, Josh. You did so good this weekend. Um, it's so cool. We we see you in the in, we see you in our league races. You help coach some of the guys in our league. Um, you've been extremely accommodating. But uh, to see you out on track in real life, um, you know, in the in Firestone Indy Next series is incredible. So, can you tell us a little <laughs> bit how you got started? Um, all right. So. For like full perspective, right? None of my parents raced. None of my family ever raced. Um, so first generation, um, you know, my parents were always into cars. I used to always go to cars and coffee as a little kid with my dad. And, 
you know, stuff like that on the weekends and NASCAR races would be on and Formula One sort of as I grew up. Um, but when I was around nine, uh, behind our house, we have this, it's just woods, right? It's just part of our property, but it's just kind of like unusable woods. Um, and my dad was like, Hey, let's go for a walk down there. So we went for a walk down the woods. And then he was like, I was nine and he looked down at me and was like, do you want to build a go-kart track? And as a nine year old, I was like, yeah, I want to build a go-kart track. Like, duh, obviously. So we got some rakes. We raked out a dirt track. Uh, we bought like a $200 dune buggy off of Amazon. And I started ripping around that. And that was the start of it all. That's so cool, man. That's so cool. I, I love how a lot of racing drivers, kind of Antonio in, included, um, it's all about the dad, man. The dad is just such a integral part. I have a two-year-old son, so I'm brainwashing him right now. We own four go-karts, none of which he can touch the pedals in. So um, hopefully get something started. Um, so tell us a little bit more about this weekend, man. Um, I mean, I, I know you kind of got started just doing backyard racing. Um, and how long have you been in the junior series? I know they've changed their name over the years, but how long have you been in the series? So I did karting all the way up until 2019. Uh, and then in 2019, I moved into Formula 1600. And from then and since, I've been in cars. So, like, this is the better part of four years. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 20. Wow. That's awesome. You got a long way to go, buddy. That's so cool. <laughs> I appreciate it. A one, when no one's looking, I get in my Miata and I go rip donuts in a parking lot down the street. I'm 30 years old, by the way. So, you know. what? But I mean, that makes day. you a Formula One driver. I know. That's what I said, right? Like hey, you're I drive a NASCAR just by doing a donut. That's right. I mean, I'm killing the circle, it. Circle, it's the same it. thing. <laughs> Ripping through off-brand tires like crazy. Um, but anyway, like uh, we've been talking a lot about safety on the podcast lately. Um, we want to hear more about this weekend, but kind of segueing into that. Um, I'd I'd kind of like to know a little bit more about the some of the systems in your car. We've all kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, we were familiar with the helmet, the Hans device. Are, are those cars equipped with any other kind of cool stuff that maybe we don't know about? So one thing you might be missing on the helmet is the eject kit. Have you guys talked about that? No. So the eject kit is this little, it's been required in like IndyCar and I don't know anything about Europe, but um, an IndyCar and everything on what was the road to Indy, what is now USF Pro Championships. Um, and so it's basically this like airbag that goes into the top pad of your helmet. Um, and it's a little wire that sticks out the side. Um, and it just comes with the bladder that all of the um, AMR safety team have. So whenever they drive up to you in their trucks, they hop out. If you have a neck injury or some sort of head injury, instead of having to pull the helmet off your head, this bladder will expand by either blowing air into the tube or squeezing the bladder and push the helmet off of your head. Um, so wow. it's significantly safer for stuff like neck injuries and stuff. So. You know, I've kind of, I've kind of thought about that. Like, like if, how do they pull the helmet off? But yeah. that's a, that's awesome. That's super, super it cool. Is. Yeah. We've been and really then, impressed with the AMR safety team, man. They are by far the best safety team on the planet when it comes to motorsport. And actually, so they all just won an award uh, for concussion safety in IndyCar. And so one of the other things that for me is brand new, but for IndyCar and, and Indy Next has been around for a long time is the, um, I forgot what the name of that actual thing is, but basically G-Force uh, pedometer. I think that's the word for it. A G-Force meter inside your earphone. So our earphones, instead of being, I can 
Oh, I don't have one on me. Um, but basically inside your earphone, obviously you have the radio and everything like that. And they're molded to your ears for sound canceling because of how loud the cars are. Um, but then inside of that tiny little unit that the radio as well is a G-force meter that'll also plug directly into the ECU. So instead of just plugging our helmets into a wire and then uh, our helmets into the car, now it's we're plugged into both the car directly as well as the helmet. Um, and so being plugged into the ECU, all of that information gets transmitted directly to the ECU. So let's say you get into the, some huge accident. Um, the safety team, they'll take you back to their truck. They'll sort of check you over and they'll take your earphones and they'll figure out the pedometer reading of, oh, okay, so maybe it was a 50G impact on the car, right? Like, let's say, you know, Max ha- Max Verstappen had that huge accident at Silverstone. That was like 50G. Um, but just because it was 50G to the car doesn't necessarily mean that the driver himself took 50G of impact. Um, and the biggest thing is looking at the helmet. So I don't know what the exact numbers are, but at the beginning of the season, we had to do a whole bunch of concussion testing. Um, and each test is basically based off of a different amount of G impact. And the different G imp- of impact will determine if you're allowed to get right back in the car or if you need to wait a day, a week, a month, ATC. Wow. And, and, and that's in, is that, is that just an indie thing? Cause I haven't yeah. really, cause I know every series has like, like GT cars and have a little light that blinks, you know, in WEC and like formula one cars, they have some warning system, but I didn't, that's pretty incredible that it's in the earpiece. Wow. Yeah. That's, re- that's really, really cool. Um, so this weekend was kind of crazy for you, right? Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you ran awesome, man. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you ran in the top five for all, almost all of the race. Yeah, yeah, we did. Starting from 11th, that is, it was a solid effort for sure. Wow, that is really, really cool. But racing happens. Um, if we we don't want to prod too much, but if you don't <laughs> mind us asking, um, what happened out there? Look, I mean. Are we talking the whole race or are we just talking the incident? No, no. Well, yeah, sure. From your eyes. I mean, it's, it, we, we don't want to <laughs> prod too much on the incident because racing happens. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. Racing happens. But like no, just from your sure. eyes, uh, from a guy who was in the race himself, I mean, we're just, you know, armchair experts over here. Uh, how, how, how to go out there was, how was the setup? How was the car? Um, how was Barber, which is just a legendary track, right, Norman? Yes. And I will say I've, talked with josh beforehand and it's not his best track (laughs) i've never even been there bro like i said i did donuts in my miata a couple times like i'm interested to hear anything this man has to say (laughs) um for whatever reason throughout my career i don't have anything against barbara i do love the circuit it's just never been super nice to me um but overall the race right we struggled in testing i think a lot of it was on my end figuring out the new tire um i struggled a bit just sort of getting up to grips and up to pace with what i needed to do to make the tire work at its best um and that kind of showed throughout the practice sessions a bit um and then qualifying it was just and it's an eight minute qualifying session which isn't very long and we ended up running into traffic so we never got to do our big lap but i think we would have been quick enough to be a bit further up but p11 it was right and then going into the race um, I was super strong at St. Pete. Like we raced our way basically up until the top three before getting hit. So kind of knew that I'd be able to move forward pretty confidently. Uh, and so we did, you know, we fought up into the top, we moved 
five positions on the first lap and then got our way all the way up to fourth. Just kind of worked our way through the field, didn't make any mistakes. Um, and then, yeah, from P4, uh, we had a red flag because a safety truck got stuck in the mud, which was fairly interesting. And let, just so you know, no one knew in pit lane. So all of us, like, we've seen the car. We've watched Louie get out as we're driving around. And we've done, like, four laps under safety car. And then they red flagged it. And I came over the radio and I was like, I already asked. But, like, is Louie all good? Like, what's going on? He was like, yeah, Louie's fine. I don't really know what we're doing. And yeah. then we all came into pit lane. We were sitting there. And, like, I just was over the radio immediately when we stopped. And was like, what's, what's the deal here? A bit on that, um, for our listeners... There was a massive rainstorm that moved through Saturday and night, early Sunday morning. And he went through the gravel trap to the other side of turn, um, nine. And it's very soft out there. And the, yeah, the tow truck got stuck. And it was from my point of view on the backstretch, it was pretty funny to watch. I mean, like it was a hundred percent pretty funny. Like it was definitely very funny. <laughs> um, and it wouldn't have been funny if the race didn't get restarted again, but the race did get restarted. So that was good. Um, uh, and then backing up on the whole thing, right? Barber is by far the hardest track to pass on, on the entire calendar, any street circuit, any road course, it is by far the hardest circuit to pass on. And that's just the high speed nature of the track. And that every corner is like two and a half years long. So you always end up losing the front tire. And then with the arrow wash, you ended up losing the front tire even worse. So it's just like damn near impossible to pass other cars. Um, and you know, that was kind of why we were so happy with the result. Obviously there are some days where like, do you want to get the most out of it? And some days the most is fourth other days, the most is a win. And you know, in a series like Indy next where it's so competitive, the days where it's a win, you have to make sure you take home a win, but the day that it's a fourth place, you have to finish fourth rather than getting into an accident fighting for third kind of thing. Right. Um, and I think we did just that. Like we had the pace to run and stick with the leaders. Um, we all sat in that like one second gap because it was just so hard to pull up. Um, and you know, we are all just stuck in a train is the simple fact of it using push to pass the same points every lap and keeping the pace just about the same. So I was very content with my driving from my end. I think me and my engineer, Cyril did a good job getting the car a lot closer. Um, than we were at the beginning of the weekend, which was awesome. And then. Yeah, the incident. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just how it goes sometimes. You know, like, it's racing. Um, me and Daniel have talked about it. I, The way I try to look at it, especially when I'm in the car, after stuff like that happens, obviously, like, you wouldn't have wanted to hear my radio, probably. But after, like, getting out of the car and everything, taking your helmet off, yeah, I'm pissed off. Yeah, I'm super frustrated. But all in all, like the way I say it is A factors and B factors, right? The A factors is all the things that I can control, which was kind of, we aced that day. And the B factors is other people and car failures and stuff like that. And I just, I don't have control over the cars behind me. And that happened and that's life. And, you know, I didn't, I tried my best to be nice to him. And I, you know, we had a conversation about it and that's it. Like it doesn't do me any good to make any enemies or be rude to anyone. Um, so just have the conversation, get out of the way. So there's no bad blood. After all, we are under the same tent. Um, and yeah, but no, I didn't see him in my mirror and I tried my best to leave him in space and it just ended up happening as it happened. Yeah, man, that's racing. I mean, like you said, you got to stay positive. You can't, you can't burn bridges for any reason. For, 
in any career, but no, well, big, big respect to you for, um, handling it the way you did. Sorry that it happened to you overall. Um, it also makes me wonder. So we see you a lot in sim racing. We see you a lot in the league. Um, how has sim racing translated in the real car? Um, whether it's, uh, getting faster, setting up the car or, uh, avoiding and or handling mentally and physically accidents and incidents like you've had this weekend. I mean, how, what has it done for you, if anything? You know, the biggest up to sim racing is racecraft overall. I mean, obviously it's different to real life because like in real life, there's like some amount of consciousness that, Hey, if I get into this accident, I'm going to be sent a very big bill kind of thing. Um, but in the sim, you get a lot of chances to be side by side with cars a lot more than you do in real life. And people are significantly more ambitious. Um, but it also means that you kind of have to be a lot smarter and a lot more preemptive to what people are going to do and what you're going to do to make an overtake happen. You know, we talk about League Zero starting the reverse grid in 12th or something after winning the the feature race. It's You have to be pretty smart because a lot of the times there are people who are maybe at the front who aren't used to being at the front um, or aren't that comfortable being next to other cars. And there's other people just like you trying to get to the field, especially with like, you have a target on your head because you're the one who just won the feature race, right? Everyone wants to beat you to the front. So it's just this whole, like, it's a very, very good addition. Um, some people swear by sim racing. Some people hate it. I've heard tons of different ideas from tons of different drivers. And I think the biggest thing for me is taking sim racing very seriously. Um, you know, I enjoy doing the leagues and doing that sort of stuff. But when it comes to my own time on the sim, I try not to hop on and just pound around for fun. I try and like actually sit down, go through data and go through it in a progressive way that's going to make me better as a driver um, and use it as a tool rather than just like as an arcade game. When I want to be on an arcade game, I just go on a seto and drift basically. Right. Well, you're good at it because if iRacing had proximity chat only, I would not even know what your voice sounds like, man. So thank God that it doesn't. Um, Do you have any, I guess, uh, like if you could give one pointer to beginner sim racers or anything uh, intermediate even what what would you give them have a break point like if we're talking about racing from that whole thing and one of the biggest things that i've learned it's like in every corner where what we call in racing we call them events right so like a corner that's an event is a corner that's a big or decently sized break and there's x amount of events on a track right so like at barber let's say there's one there's like four or five events you know there might be a lot more corners but there's only a couple actual events have a break point for every single one of those events that hey at this point on the track like if i break any later than this i'm in the wall kind of thing and know that like okay let's say it's the 300 board if i break at the 250 i'll make the corner just about but i'm not going to be quick on the exit which could be useful to pass another car but have that like kind of threshold of going like oh, okay now i'm at the 200 so i'm 100 in the wall going into the corner Josh, I want to thank you again for, what was it, two weeks ago, helping me out at Fuji in the Sim and sitting down with me. And I want to get your perspective on coaching and do you enjoy it? And do you see yourself eventually getting into it? Oh, I love coaching. Absolutely love coaching. And I already, in a way, am into it. Like I, I work up at Monticello Motor Club um, and I do basically driver coaching every day when I'm home or as many days as I can when I'm home. Um, and then I, I coach a bunch of people from there as well as other people on the same rather consistently. Um, I love it. I really enjoy it. And when it comes to my perspective on it, like 
I love being able to help people and show people the world of racing. Um, Monticello is a lot more like very green people who are new to it all and getting to sit right seat or like sit on data and stuff and work with people who are fairly new to it and kind of show them the intricacies of it um, is a lot of fun. But on the sim, you know, you get to be really nitpicky and get very granular because, you know, instead of it being like real life and it happened and I can't go back and look at it again, like, for example, working with you, like whatever you did, if you did something stupid, I could just hit rewind and play it over and over again and be like, oh, hey, like this is the thing you just did that you need to fix kind of thing, which is a really useful coaching tool as well as like it helps you keep yourself honest. Um, so it makes me better as a driver and I enjoy getting to work with other people and, and see them improve, and, you know, watch the results start to have an uptick. So you're saying you did a lot of rewinding and rewatching how many mistakes I was making. <laughs> I get it. I was going to say, you probably wore out the rewind button, right? <laughs> on that, on that topic, coaching, I, you know, you're in the, um, the Indy next series and I know you're probably looking to get into IndyCar, but do you see yourself wanting to try any other series besides IndyCars like open will what you really love? Well, I mean, the end goal is forever going to be IndyCar, and that is like 100% the target. But if you gave me any series with four wheels and told me I could go drive a race car, I'm going to go drive a race car. Like it doesn't, it's not really a question for me. If someone offered me a ride in a GT car, in a prototype, in a NASCAR, whatever, if they let me get after it, I'm going to get after it. Like I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Um, at what, with that being said, what is your like Indy championship, Indy 500 winner, just getting to Indy? Like, I know you have goals, but you know, what's like the pinnacle if you can make it? An IndyCar championship, 100%. That's definitely the pinnacle. That's always going to be. I hope you get there, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate it. I actually have a question about um, like what you do throughout the season, I guess, to like stay trained physically, like what do you, what do you be doing when you're say during the off season, uh, even leading up to races, like, do you do any, uh, sort of, uh, training as in the sense of, you know, maybe it's weightlifting, maybe it's training your neck, maybe it's just keeping your heart rate up and doing some jogging and stuff like, uh, how, how, uh, in depth does that get? I know F1 training is quite extensive. So I'm curious what it is for like the lower categories of series feeding up to, you know, what we consider to be the top in America here, IndyCar. Yeah. Um, so as with HMD, uh, we have pit fit, uh, which is like a big training place for IndyCar drivers or not even just IndyCar drivers, drivers in general. They have one in Charlotte, one in Indy, and they do a bunch of online training as well. So I'm training basically six days a week, uh, once or twice a day, every single day, um, weight training, cardio, both long and steady state and everything basically in between. Um, and I also climb usually like two or three times a week. Uh, it's something I've gotten into a ton with another, with an IndyCar driver, uh, Zach Deach, if you guys remember him from a couple of years ago. Um, and the cars are ridiculously physical. Like it's, it's just, we don't have power steering over here. Um, and you know, the IndyCar is so somewhere upwards of 50 Newton meters of torque in the steering wheel. And we're somewhere around 20 to 25. So, I mean, if you think about a direct drive wheel, that's like turning it up to a hundred and doing an hour long race with it. That's crazy. And do you find the climbing, does it help you with like grip strength or is that just something you've, you've just got into because you enjoy it? Definitely helps with grip strength, back strength, the ton as well, and core strength. Like those are really the three biggest like things, uh, as well as, 
I think mentally it's like super, super useful. Um, it's, I guess as an athlete and someone who like competes for that's their life and that's their whole, like, yeah. I mean, my brand is basically being a race car driver. So everything I do is competitive. Uh, when it comes to climbing, there's a lot of challenging yourself, working really, really hard towards something, but sometimes you also have to end a session and go, that's not happening today. And that doesn't really ever happen in racing, right? Like I can't leave the track content with being like, I tried my hardest today and I finished 15th. Like I can't smile at that kind of thing. Whereas if I'm climbing, let's say I climb like V5-ish now, and let's say like there was one V5 that I was trying all day and I didn't get it, I still, I can go home and I can go, all right, well, I tried my best. I learned a couple things and I'll move on. There's a reason why they call them a problem. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. I, I met my wife climbing, man. It's such a, it's such a huge, it was such a huge part of my life. I haven't been in a long time, but it is, it is a different way of thinking about life and accomplishment and sport. And like you said, there's days when you try like a 510C or a 511 something, you know, or I, I was more, you know, trad and sport yeah. climbing stuff. But like some days you, you fail, but it's not a failure. Like you figured out half the problem. It's that hold, you know, 70 feet up, you got to hook your hand just right and you haven't figured it out and you, you lay in bed and think about it. And like, it's an obsession. So I respect that, man. It definitely translates to racing, sim racing. I mean, everything. It's such a, a dedication. So um, like I said, you show me your rack, I'll show you mine. <laughs> I appreciate it. it. Yeah, I mean, one thing, honestly, like as a kid, I did a lot of sports played a lot of different sports and I was like 100% honestly not very good at any of them very bad hand-eye coordination and just couldn't really figure stuff out uh, and then when it came to racing like it just instantly clicked clicked I was very quick out of the box um, and actually once I figured out racing and started being successful and went back to tennis basketball I mean climbing even everything was like super easy to be at a decently high level straight out of the box this isn't like, oh, I'm a professional tennis player, but this is like being able to play quite decently. Um, and it's because you learn like a level of getting in the zone, as you say, or like smoothness that like, even if you haven't perfected something or like, yeah, even if it's not a strength of yours, if you can do it in a way that feels smooth and it flows nine times out of 10, it is kind of operating in the way it's meant to. And I think as a kid, I was very stiff. And I could never really let myself get into that flow state. And that was something I struggled with in karting and early on in my racing career. And as I kind of tugged myself away from it, it fell into the rest of the pieces of my life. Yeah, you can't be stiff on the boulder, man. You'll fall. No. You gotta <laughs> you gotta relax and hang. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, Josh, we're gonna we're gonna welcome you just to the rest of our podcast. We wanna talk a little more Formula One. We wanna talk a little more barber with you. Uh but before we start that, um, is there anyone you want to shout out in particular? Um, you know, I always want to shout out my sponsors, Imperium Live Bitch, Coach Mark Green, um, and honestly just HMD Motorsports and everyone, everyone in the crew, as well as my parents. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, we're happy to have you. Um I think it will we'll talk a little more Formula One in a bit. Um, I'd love to hear from Norman a little bit on his experience at Barber this weekend. I know you were there too, Josh, so feel free to <laughs> chime in. But um, Norman, was you were on there. The, oh yeah, you were on the there. other side of the fence. Um, how did it go? Um, it like normal. 
I know y'all call me a homer. It is in my backyard, literally my backyard, but I had a blast this weekend. Uh, I didn't realize, um, I thought this mini series coming to a race weekend is normal. Y'all kind of informed me last week, last podcast. This is not normal having all these events at one track on one weekend. And I know Josh has been at a couple of these. I thought this was a light weekend for a barber event. I didn't get any interviews that I really wanted to. Uh, the paddock was pretty hectic all weekend, but you know, we had, like I said, we had the blue marble radical cup there this weekend. We also had the, um, Porsche sprint North America Cayman and nine eleven series, which I didn't realize the racing for children's got their IMSA GT three, um, Porsches into which was really cool. They actually kind of fudged the rules to let them come race with them this weekend. Uh, to touch on that, they did sweep the two races, but it wasn't as easy as they thought it was going to be. Uh, Riley Dickerson, the actually blew his engine in final practice. And overnight they swapped the engine out and got him ready for um, qualifying and the race the next day. And that, in, that engine blew Friday evening. So that was good for them to come back and sweep the weekend. Riley won both races, uh, which was really good. And just so happy to be part of that organization, not part of it, but have a connection with that organization, looking to do more with them in the podcast. Hopefully to get them on to talk about what they do. You got something, Antonio? Yeah, uh, I was just going to say for um, most people who haven't listened, you know, we might have uh, new viewers on this episode. You know, we got Josh Reen here. That's huge, huge, mar huge marketing thing. I'm just saying it's, it's a Big bargain. Deal. <laughs> but uh, no, I was going to say, you want to just touch on for anybody who's new, your relation with Racing for Children's, because I don't think a lot of people know that. Maybe just briefly go over it so they know what, uh, y you know, how, how much you're into it with them and, uh, how, how you know about them and et cetera. Yeah. Um, first off racing for children's is a organization that works directly with children's of Alabama, which is really big into childhood cancer and childhood blood disorders here in Birmingham. And they got started with a couple of car guys here that were part of the, um, Porsche club of America the Birmingham chapter and there's a guy Brinley King and his friend I can't even remember his last name but his first name's Doug and now I feel really bad got together and was helping um they actually started taking some kids out to track days and running the car around and putting kids in the car and taking them on the track and it really just started growing from there I don't, I would really like to have the guys on to explain a little bit more, but Brinley King is my cousin. Um, he's actually a, him and my dad were first cousins. So I think that makes us second cousins. I don't know how all that works. 
You're from Alabama. I was going to say, I don't know how the cousins work in Alabama, no. bro. I'm just saying. Open a can of worms. <laughs> Let himself into that one. All right, never mind. Uh, anyway, second cousins, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we, that's how I got involved was through him. But they, they got involved with Kelly Moss and got a car started in the IMSA Porsche Cup that IMSA runs which actually will be in Miami with F1 this weekend, which is very interesting. Uh, and he's, you know, I guess having family, blood ties and family, he's been, they've been all very welcoming to, you know, let me tag along with them and be in the background and very supportive of, you know, trying to help me in my platform of trying to get into a race car um, that's not a lemons car or not a grassroots car and very supportive in trying to help with the podcast and all, all facets, even sim racing. Like I said, they sponsored our, um, the IndyCar series that we tried to get started that failed miserably in iRacing. And luckily it did because it would have failed anyway, because of iRacing's great marketing team and not being able to run IndyCar and iRacing anymore. They're not called Indy cars. Shh, they're not called. <laughs> we can't call Indy cars. Hey, bro, no, it's I the open call, wheel C. Okay, I, come I on, call right. Indy car if I'm not <laughs> putting them in iRacing. They don't exist okay. in iRacing anymore, right. so we you're can't right. run the series. That's right. That's right. You know what we <laughs> there, can say what we want. Go right ahead. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much the backstory on that. And like I said, hopefully here in the near future, we're going to have some members from Racing for Children's on. We were trying to get some interviews with them this weekend, but it's the kids are more important than our podcast. And I'm sorry that hurts some people's feelings here, but I was more worried, hoping letting them do their stuff with the kids and making sure the kids got to do all the things, um, meeting Ilot and going to see their car because they actually this weekend ran racing for children's on their car. Um, engine cover, which was really cool. And some of these pictures have been posted in our Discord, so make sure you join it to see the pictures from this weekend. Uh, but getting back to this weekend, uh, we've already touched on the Porsche Cup with them sweeping. I want to get really into the Radical Cup because I didn't find this out till this weekend, and I really wish I would have got an interview with him. But there's a guy named Alston Riley who runs in the um, Blue Marble Radical Cup, and I've been so I've been talking about racing for children's. His big thing is racing with autism, and he actually is autistic and is in this series and is actually extremely competitive in it. And he, Antonio, you're gonna like this. He's from Canada, but. They bring their car down a whole lot to barbers and do a huge thing racing with autism and have kid, autistic kids come out here in Birmingham and he gives rides to the kids in this car because he's got a two-seater um, radical. And that's sweet. That's, yeah, that's amazing. That's pretty rad. That's radical. I just want to give them a shout out. I just, when I heard that story this weekend, I, I had to touch on it. Um. Like That's I great, said, man. we had the, um, 
Indy Next series, which Josh touched on, which was really cool. Um, really, I don't know from his view, from from entertainment view, I know the track doesn't race very well, but it was very entertaining of a race to watch. I know it's hard to pass there, but it did seem like people were trying to make moves through the whole race, and I could tell. Um, but to get into the main event, we'll get into the Children's of Alabama Grand Prix at Barber. And it was a hell of a race, I have to say. Uh, it was really good um, to see my boy, Romain, you know, doing his thing. You know, he led most of the laps, 57 of them. And I, I came into the weekend after he put it on pole, and I, literally, I thought it was his weekend. I was like, this is it, boys. He's going to do it. You know, my driver's going to win his first race at my home track. And I was pumped coming into Sunday. And he did everything right. Scott McLaughlin ended up winning the race, but Scott was on the three stop because he wasn't there. They're qualifying. So he had to try, they had to try something different. And our boy, Stingray Rob, I'd have a mechanical <laughs> failure in the middle of pits. Not, and it wasn't really in the middle of pit stops, but it opened up the three stop strategy to be a stronger strategy than the two stop strategy. Correct when me it if failed. I'm wrong. That was the only caution in the whole race, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. And we it came wild. out on lap. This is it wild, came out dude. on lap 39. Oh, that, you want to know another interesting fact? Yes. Every car finished on the lead lap. I'm still that trying is, to figure that one out. That is crazy. So, Man, no one had a bad day. No. And except, Ray except for Steve Hayrock. <laughs> 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 and Norman. And Romain. Yeah. <laughs> no, Romain had a great day. He, in his interview, he was really good. I, I give, I don't have a, I still have a bitter taste with Scott and Scott McLaughlin in my, my throat. You know, it's just, oh, after St. Pete. But they got, they did, they get lucky. And nah, no, let's don't say lucky. They got it right this weekend. And that Romain had nothing to, to, to battle with him at the end of the race. I would have thought that being the strategist, they started out on the Reds. And they went 35 laps, and it seemed like he was at really good pace. With that short pit at the end, I thought they should have gone on reds for the last 30 laps. And I think he could have tried to open that gap and then been able to defend. Josh, I know you know a little bit more about how tire degradation works and all that, but I just felt the reds would have, were the tire he should have gone on to. He might not have had reds left. I don't know. But yeah, I, I would say... Probably didn't have reds left. I agree that it would have made sense to go on reds. And I mean, you saw Will Bauer hunting him down for the last, well, basically 30 laps of the race. And he closed about a 10 second gap um, and then ran out of tires. But I don't know that it would have been enough to make him win if he was on the reds, but it definitely would have got, gotten in a lot closer. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, once Scott passed him, it was, he just drove away from the field. 
Yeah, you could kind of see that that was going to happen. You know, as I was talking before, Barbara is like one of the hardest tracks to pass on, which also means it's one of the hardest tracks to follow on. And I mean, Scott sat on his gearbox for like five laps, which yeah. when I was watching the race on the side and I saw him within about half a second for more than a lap, it's like, oh, once he goes by, he's going to check out. Because if you can sit there, you're yeah. usually like a second, second and a half quicker a lap in clean air. I was actually, I was watching that too, and my Homer side and hoping and praying was that Scott was going to push on those tires too much, staying on that gearbox with aero wash and wear his tires out quicker and then start to drop off. And then the inevitable happen. And, and what he got him into T5, right? No, coming out of T5, um, yeah. out of Charlotte's web and then into the museum corners where he got, he outbroke him in the museum corner. Yeah. Gershon definitely did make a couple mistakes on that stint that didn't help his cause you know i don't know that he would have been able to hang on to the lead if he defended the whole time um and i do agree that like definitely scott was going to at some point run out of tire on the front of the car but grojan didn't help himself with the two or three times that he overshot turn five and then that one time was just a little bit more than all the others that meant that scott could get the exit and he had the push to pass so it was always going to be a drag race that he was going to win Scott's been so impressive this year. I mean, Roman's Roman Grosjean has been incredibly impressive. All of them, Pato, Alex Pelot. I mean, these are common names now, right? Marcus Erickson, whatever. But like uh, Scott McLaughlin, man, coming from a different series into IndyCar the way he did is crazy impressive. Yeah, I like. I don't think it's talked about enough. His transition. Every single person we've seen throughout the entirety of history come from anything other than maybe GT cars into a formula car usually struggles, like just sinks so bad. Yeah. You know, and we can look through Jimmy Johnson as a recent look, you know, someone like that, they just struggle like crazy. He left in a car and won a race in his first season, which is ridiculous, obscene to think about. I mean, yes. Okay. Fair. He's with Penske, like 100% fair one of the best teams on the grid, and they're always going to have a good car at certain tracks that's going to be good enough to win. But he also has two teammates that are ridiculously good that in the same weekend, given the same car, should, just based on like fact and experience, outclass him by miles. And a, a lot of the time at this point, he's been the best of the three teammates. And yeah. honestly, throughout the entire weekend, he had the measure on both of them. Newgarden was strong in some of the testing, so as well, but... Like in qualifying in the race, Scott was on another level to the other two Penske cars. It was good seeing Will take another podium. That was that was good. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Old old Scotty is impressive, man. That guy in driver race car. <laughs> yeah, I just also think he has a great personality. I mean, him and Newgarden, the Bus Bros things is awesome, are awesome. But like Scotty Mack is just a cool dude. He also runs the number three too, Thirsty Threes. So. Yeah. I also yeah. run number three in League Zero, which I know I'm you. sorry. <laughs> I know that. He's like, I know you do. <laughs> I'll send you my PayPal. About that later. <laughs> it's like a domain name. You can make an offer. It doesn't need to be yeah. <laughs> No, I and, and I get the Gershon thing, and I get liking Gershon, and I think he has done a very, very good job since moving into the series. Um, but I don't know what's been going on with Andretti the last, I mean, all last year and this year, it's been a much bigger struggle for them 
as a big team than you would expect. You know, there are weekends when they're strong, but never really seems to come together for them. And then Grosjean, I don't know who he pissed off, but man, someone, one of the IndyCar gods does not want him winning a race. <laughs> no. Like it is no, not I mean, happening. How many different ways can he not win a race, you know? Yeah, it's rough, but I don't know. I think all in all, if I were to like rate someone as the strongest person in the first half of the season, though, I'd go Pato. Oh, man, I'm such a Pato fan. I'm also from San Antonio, so that's kind of, you know, biased. Right. But that kid, that kid needs to, he needs he to get had some a fan base this weekend. I bet. Yeah, he did, for sure. But like Pato and Aaron McLaren have taken such a huge step up this year. And I don't think, like, Texas speaks for itself. Texas qualifying specifically, they were on rails, on the money. Three cars in the top five. It's been a long time since we've seen someone do that in such yeah. a competitive series. And I mean, they've just been killing it this year. And I understand that they were quick last year, but they were not this quick last year. They've done a really good job over the offseason making their car something special. Do you think it's a trade-off with Formula One? And do you think that that's a symptom of Andretti? Like maybe they're focusing more on developing other series and McLaren has seen the writing on the wall in F1 this year and they're focusing more on IndyCar? Like, do you think there's any relationship there? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how Aero McLaren is an entity run. Um, the only way that that would make sense is funding-wise, right? Because they are completely separate personnel. Obviously, besides the guys at the top, top, you know, we're looking at the Zach Browns and, and stuff like that, like the, the team owners, um, yeah. you know, everything's completely separate. There's not, there's very few engineers that are going to be working on both the Formula One and the IndyCar program because that's just too much. And there are too many weekends that overlap and stuff like that. So I think it's fairly separate. I just think that in the off season with Pato and Rossi and Rosenquist, they've had three dudes who really know what they're doing. Um, very experienced drivers and they're fresh off of a pretty dang good season and who knows maybe they stole some engineers from some other teams or got some different information but like they just are doing a good job and that's from the engineering to the pre-event to like their strategies like they just seem to kind of always be there which we only have ever seen from the Penske's and the Andretti's and the Ganassi's but Arrow's starting to sort of sneak up on Andretti's seat in the top three teams so i got another question for you josh um over the last couple of years we've seen an influx of like formula two and you know retired formula one uh european drivers coming in or australian drivers coming into the indycar series have you felt any pressure in the next series from more international interest as an american race car driver mm -hmm. I mean, I think you always feel pressure when there are more drivers looking for seats. Um, like the ultimate reality is like IndyCar is a very desirable series because it's one of the very, well, probably one of the only top level series in the world right now where you can kind of join in just about any team. And if you do a really good job on the weekend, you can win. Um, obviously that's not true for some of the teams at the back, but even still like those chances, um, unlike you know, Formula One and stuff like that, especially when we're talking about Formula Two and, and XF1 drivers. Take Marcus Erickson, for example. He was never in a car competitive enough to be anywhere near the front. And now he's showing how strong of a race car driver he is. And I'm sure that there are lots of guys like in the Formula One paddock who would come over and be really talented because they are really talented. 
but can't show it. Um, when it comes to pressure, you know, I think the biggest worry from my end with the whole IndyCar thing, I, I can't go too deep into it, but like the state of the last couple drivers who have moved into IndyCar, um, as well as last year's champion not being able to move into IndyCar, just kind of, I don't know, it's unfortunate the way that it's going. Um, I don't think it's really anyone's fault. Like it's hard to point fingers on something like that. I just think it's a structuring thing um, and a funding thing. Um, and I don't know where that starts, but the underlying thing is, okay, well, are the teams getting enough money to slash finding enough money to pay a driver? Um, and why are they focusing on getting drivers who are going to bring the funding rather than drivers who are talented enough to bring them the wins? Right. Has has a guy like Logan Sargent given junior drivers in these series any more hope to being in a Formula One series? Because he kind of came out. I mean, he's always been talented if you look at his resume, but he kind of was an unexpected pick for Williams. So did that, is there any talk about that in, I guess, the American junior racing series? Like, hey, like this guy, you know? Not really, only because he didn't really do any junior American racing series. He just went straight to Europe and he did everything in Europe. And like, if anyone followed his career path or at the age of whatever goes over to Europe, does karting in Europe and then does cars in Europe and goes up the whole ladder series, you might as well be European at that point. Like, it doesn't really matter too much. I like agree. I think he's extremely talented. It was a wild pick for Williams, but it makes a lot of sense having an American driver. Um, but unless Andretti or someone like that opens a team it's anyone who goes up the American ladder is going to find it really hard to get over into European racing just because we're not looked at as being the same caliber um, but it's been proven time and time actually Fittipaldi Enzo just got a podium in Formula 2 he ran up front all of Formula 3 he ran an Indy Pro or what's called USF Pro Championships the year before that I don't think he even got a top five. Yeah. So, yeah, like American series are damn competitive, but it, they're never looked at as the same thing because they're not called FIAF3. Yeah, that's a bummer. Um, So I got to, like, I guess kind of getting into Formula One a little more. Um, the The season's panning out to be pretty interesting. You know, Red Bull's been pretty dominant going forward. Um, I guess as an insider, as a real life racing driver, um, what are your thoughts on the season so far? I mean, uh, it is, are we going to see Austin Martin fall off? Are we going to see Ferrari come back? Uh, does, does Alpine make a step forward? What's up with Mercedes? We would just love to hear your take on the season. I mean, I know that's a lot of questions, but just in general, we'd love to hear your take on formula one right now, the current state. Um, I think for me, it's really hard to understand. First of all, Mercedes has struggled. I get it last year, totally understand it. And it 100% makes sense. You make the mistake going into the first season and it's like, okay, we created a formula. We went down a wrong path and it didn't work. It's weird to me that they kept the whole no side pod thing. Um, you know, usually F1 teams and they do something that drastic in the first season that either are like extremely dominant, Braun GP, for example. Mercedes's origin or they suck and they go this was dumb and they go back kind of thing and honestly if you look all the way back Mercedes and testing before they did the no side pod thing were kind of okay in comparison to when they 
got rid of the side pods. And I've just never understood it. Being an engineering student currently and working with engineers all the time, like I just don't understand how having that entire part of the car not exist is useful for anything. Like I understand the no drag thing, but they're the biggest issue is they're losing so much downforce from not having side pods that they have to run the wings so stood up that the win in, you know, more straight line efficiency is a loss because you have to run so much more wing. Um, and all, actually that's what we saw as well in Baku and what we've been seeing with the Red Bulls is the Red Bull in the past, even before this year when Mercedes was dominant, why we saw them so great at Monaco and stuff like that was because they were very, very efficient on their aero packages. Like they were really good. Um, and so they could run a lot less arrow and make the same effective arrow, if that makes sense, like run significantly less drag and still make similar amounts of arrow to other teams. And that's kind of similar to what we saw at Baku, where they were running less arrow on the car, like less stood up wings, less drag. They were more trimmed, yet still had the top speed on the straights. And then I don't know what Adrian Newey's cooked up with the whole DRS thing, but they just get the most wild kick when it comes to DRS being open. It's ridiculous. It's like they're passing a Formula 2 car. It's insane. Yeah, they nailed it on that one. I, I Everybody's trying to figure it out, and I don't think it's one of those things that you could be Inspector Vettel or, uh, you know, Hamilton uh, at the last race and just see it. Um, they've done something. It, I've been doing a lot of research on it, too. It, it seems like their back wing is not just a good back wing, like you were saying. It's a complete package thing. Um, it, it's, it's how the side pod works with the, the barge boards, with the fins, with, you know, um, all of it together. And, uh, you know, I, like you, like you, I mean, you, you nailed it. Um, Mercedes went a whole season knowing that what they were doing wasn't working. You have a complete off season. Why do you not make a more da- drastic change than what they did? I, I can't really explain it. I mean, like I said, you nailed that one because. They've got to, they've got to do something. What, what you're doing is not working. Um, so why would you continue down that path? They say that there's big changes coming, but I just don't, man, once the season starts, it's, it's a whole new ball game on and what you can and can't do. Yeah, no, precisely. Like once the season starts, there's so little that you can do to actually get the car that much better, especially with the Delta that they're looking at of like over half a second per event per lap. You know, that's not something that you can exactly find by like big upgrades. That's like a philosophy thing. Um, and I think they know, and Toto's even said in different like, uh, what's it called? Press releases and stuff like that about like they went down the wrong path. They have the wrong philosophy with the car, but just with such a dominant team, such a big engineering team and so much funding, it's so weird that they kept with the same idea and the car that they finished 2022 with rolled off the truck in Barcelona looking almost exactly the same. Um, And, I mean, based on the pace, obviously everyone else got better, but it's not like they took a big step forward. They're in the exact same spot, you know? And and then also, I mean, if we're just going to talk in general, like, Ferrari has an okay car. I think Ferrari has a much better car than they're showing right now. I think Baku was a much more realistic representation of kind of where they're at on the pace. But all the people making the speculations of like, oh, Leclerc's going to win the championship because he DNF these two races, it's, I, it's just not going to happen. Like, Verstappen being in a car that's within a tenth or two of any other car, he makes up those extra two, three tenths. That makes the everyone go, oh, well, their car is insane. I just think he does a really good job. And we haven't seen anyone like him in a long, long time who can get that much out of a car. Um, but 
his superpower is having a car that's on the nose. And that's, I think people know that for the most part from the outside, but like he has a car that has so much front grip and is so reactive. He gets the rotation done before everyone else and he's back to power before everyone else. It's, yep. but the theory is as simple as that, but as a driver, when you get to a 200 mile an hour corner and turn the steering wheel, you know, I know for me, I've struggled this year with any next car with having a car that's too reactive and I need to be more comfortable with a car that reacts as quickly as is quick, let's say from an engineering standpoint. Um, and you know, we're finally seeing Red Bull go a different direction with their second car, which is why we're seeing Perez start to be quick and they're no longer doing the like, well, Verstappen's quick on this, so you should be able to figure it out too kind of thing, which is good. And it's nice to see Verstappen being quick. But all the comments about, oh, we're going to let them fight for the championship is definitely BS. Like, I I don't see that happening. And I don't see, even if Perez is close in the championship, if he's, I bet in the next race, if he was a lap down or something like that, or was far enough behind that he could block the next car for Verstappen, they'd make him do it. Do you think he will, though, after his comments in the past few weeks? Well, I mean, it... After his comments in the past few weeks, like you would say no emotionally, but like we don't know what's written on his contract, right? And like, yeah, the reality for a lot of these drivers is like, what are you going to do? Are you going to put around and second, prepare second the championship and be paid a ton of money every year, or are you going to move to another team where you have potentially the chance to barely scrape into the top ten every weekend, but you're the top driver? Um. I don't know. We've seen people have different takes on that. I think Perez so far has the biggest chance to beat Verstappen as a teammate. Um, and we'll see how it pans out. But I don't think they're going to allow that to happen because I don't know where Verstappen's head's at. The way that he talks in press releases, it kind of sounds like if he got beaten by a teammate, he'd be off to the next team. Yeah. Do you think his dad has too much pull at Red Bull too? I don't think that family should be involved with the race teams like that. I mean, I, it's just, that's like simple fact. It just doesn't really make sense that like your dad should have any real pull at the team. Um, and it's not like Max Verstappen needs his dad to have pull at the team, I think is a big thing. It's like Verstappen's one of, if not the most talented race car driver in the world right now. He doesn't really need anyone, you know, pulling his weight. Um, I think, and this is kind of going down a different direction, I just think that Max Verstappen has a bad mentality about the whole thing, or at least portrays himself to, and kind of comes off like a bit of, I don't know what word to say without cursing, but just a bit of a not very nice person on all of his interviews and stuff like that. It's just, he makes himself unlikable for no reason. And it's the same sort of like, thing that Hamilton ran into is he started getting success and then suddenly he was like well all like you know all of my fans or all the people that aren't my fans are starting to get more and more polar more and more angry and annoyed every weekend it's because you start just looking more and more like a crybaby yeah and I think the issue is the more that you start winning races especially in Formula 1 when we're the team that every single weekend anything other than a win is seen as a failure um, you expect yourself to be there I mean, you're not there. It's someone else's fault. And then an interview comes across as, well, I didn't win today. And that's because this engineer did this or because there was this safety car at this time or this happened. And no one wants to hear that. 
right? Because then you look back at George Russell Williams crying because he got on the podium after having an amazing qualifying and yeah. thinking, I mean, in that interview, he didn't talk about himself once. All he talked about was how amazing the race team was and how great they did and how well they set the car up and stuff like that. That's the stuff we want to hear. And when you get to the level of Verstappen, it's like, yeah, okay, maybe someone did make a mistake, but there's 1,500 people sitting back at the factory trying their best and when you don't win a race and you're the person complaining about the engineers, it's like a real kick for everyone. Yeah, that like, sucks. Yeah, it does suck. And when you devote your entire life, if you think about the winters, like all these people working hours and hours and hours to build a race car, I mean, even talking about Mercedes, as we kind of talked down on them, there's some... 100 200 engineers that are there thinking they just developed the next biggest thing and then they show up for the first race weekend it suck yeah and toto yeah. wolf was going yeah. through interviews being like our engineering team sucks i need to figure their stuff out you know you're sitting back at home like all right well i don't know we just won eight championships in a row we can't suck it that bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> can't agree yeah, more I, man i do i do gotta go unfortunately no, well, hey, that's that. Before you go, do you have time for a quick in it, bin it, or win it? Yes, that's fine. Okay, great. So, <laughs> do you know the rules of this game? We changed them recently. I'll just fill you in quickly. Okay, win it do. is any driver other than a Red Bull driver because yeah, picking, we had to cut out Red Bull. They're just too talented right now. It's like it's not fair. It is so, pretty much so fun. when it's like anyone but Red Bull who's going to finish highest in the race, bin it is. A DNF. It needs to be a full DNF in the race, and then in it is a top ten points finish. So for Miami GP this weekend, May seventh, who are your win it, bin it, and in it picks? So what was the? Sorry, when it was literally has to win the race. No, 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 no. no. Anyone but Red Bull. Like if Max and Checo take first and second, and you pick Leclerc, the, who's you third? win. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Looking back. Um, I think for Miami, yeah. Yeah, Miami, yes, yeah, sir. This yeah. weekend. Win it, I'm going to have to say. Oh, I don't know. Sides was kind of strong at Miami last year, in all fairness. Um, but I'll probably go Leclerc. I think he has the biggest chance. I think Ferrari were quite quick there last year. They just fairly unsurprisingly had the single most disgusting strategy we've ever seen in our lives. Um, which. <laughs> I don't, I never understand that. I never understand that. either. Especially with no, like, I mean, you could watch the, like, watch the stream and follow a strategy that comes up on the TV and do better than they do half the time. And like, the yeah. whole thing is like, oh, they're literally reinventing the wheel. Every single car comes to pit on the same lap. And they're like, oh, well, we'll pit in two laps to the different tire. And it's like, well, no one else is doing that. <laughs> That's not how this works. Like, <laughs> like it, but it's, it's funny because it's like, the most advanced series on the planet and they have all these engineers and everyone comes up with the same idea it's not like it's like i don't know you're in math class and you raise your hand and have a different answer from someone else it's like these are some of the best people on the planet at this stuff there's a reason they're all ending up in the same kind of window with what they think is gonna work so so you're saying that mercedes engineers that designed the car are probably also calling ferrari strategy <laughs> <laughs> maybe there I'll give you that um, alright but so uh, when it Leclerc I'll give him that I think he'll have that um, and I think that'll be someone that you're going to have to ban probably relatively soon because okay. he's going to be the finishing third every time uh, Bennett who's crashing 
Um, man, I don't want to say anyone. I feel I had Yuki's in my head. Nick's in my head. I love Nick DeVries. I think he's so talented. God, but man, Baku was not was not pleasant. That first crash that he had in the qualifying session was so confusing to watch back. I mean, it looked yep. like you forgot the break. He turned into the corner and it was like, there's no way. You're not even close. You're like 30 mile an hour quicker than you probably were the last time you went in there. But it's like in I racing on this on the back straight when I'm trying to take a drink of water and I can't quite like figure out where my water bottle is and then I look up and I'm at the hundred board. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that was what it looked like, kind of. I mean, I don't look, mistakes happen, I totally get it, but it just looked really weird and in general he had a horrible weekend, but he's not gonna crash next weekend. I'll give you that because he's probably so scared of crashing yeah. that it's not gonna happen. I would I'll give you Yuki. Okay. I'll give you Yuki in the wall. It. Um, and who's who's gonna give me some points? Ah, oh, Russell. Yeah. Here you okay. go. Yeah, this is an easy pick. Yeah, this like, is the this is the okay. one that is usually works out, but when it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out hard. So it's a safe bet. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Those are some strong picks, especially the Russell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like the, uh, Russell a lot. I really, really like Russell. I know a lot of people don't. But I really, really like Russell, and I think he's super talented. And I like his attitude towards everything that's going on. Yeah. I think he has potential to be a world champion in the right team, for sure. Absolutely. But I think most of the drivers on the grid do, and I think that's a common misconception. I think Yuki could win a championship. I think any of these guys put at the top team would have a very good shot. And maybe we'll have you on for a future podcast to discuss that topic more. I hope so. I'd love to. Josh, we're we're super happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, uh, do you have a website? Is there any way that anyone can find out more about you? Yeah, so my website's Josh Green Racing, and then Josh Goes Racing on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you name it. That's awesome. Well, Josh Green, we are so happy to have you here, and we hope to see you back out on track for uh, League Zero here pretty quick. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. See you guys soon. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye. See ya. Uh, nice guy. Um, I guess that makes it my turn. So I picked Leclerc to win it. And other than Red Bulls, I called it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yep, yep, yep. Uh, I got to go with Alonzo. I know that we're going to see Austin Martin tail off. But I don't know. Miami GP, Fernando Alonzo on the podium. It just feels right to me. So call it a dark horse pick. Maybe I throw I'll throw away a pick because I won last this, you know, last week. But Alonzo to win it in it. Um I don't want to pick something easy. I picked Gasly last week. That didn't work out, but um I don't want to pick like Lewis or somebody. Let me see. In it. We're going to give Mr. Lando Norris some points this week in Miami. In it, Lando Norris is going to score some points. I bet he comes in like 8th or ninth. It's going to be close. And then Bennett. Um, hmm. Let's say it's been a while since we've seen Carlos Sainz Bennett. I'm going to call Mr. Carlos Sainz to Bennett. Dark Horse Picks. 
Huh? You like those? Yeah, your your, your Bennett was uh, Josh's Winnet. So we'll see how that goes. One of you, yeah. one of one of you. Eight. You like those? Hopefully, hopefully. So I guess uh, is it me? Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Norman. Ah, you'll come around. You'll get your chance. Um. So your dark horse pick just really, really uh blew my picks up. So I appreciate that, Dave. Thank you very much. Alonzo You're is going to be like, you know what? Um. So win it. Um. If you pick Alonzo, I'll share the point with you. No, we can't do that. Remember? Tell them what we can do whatever we uh, want. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. I don't know. I'm going to be that. Don't be that guy. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my uh, win it pick will be LeClaire. Uh, I think the Ferraris are coming back around. Um, I don't think that Signs for some reason, has it as much as LeClaire. Sorry about that. Um, but my, uh, my in it picks, uh, just to get some points, like you say, I want to, I want to, you know, do something a little crazy. Let's get let's just goofy and Pierre Gasly it. Why not? Why not? Love it. Um, to to Bennett though, I I I'm just getting a feeling. I got I got a I got an Ocon feeling. I got an Ocon feeling. I think Ocon's the one that uh, bends it. Good pick. So that's my picks. Uh, Norman, what do we got, man? What's your picks there? Well, since I. I'm not completely last this week and left with like half the field already gone. My in it's my win. It's still going to be tough. And uh, I just, I guess to, to, to try to get lucky, I'm going to have to say signs because he's what's left on the board right now. I just don't see anyone from Mercedes. I'm not going to, jump down that rabbit hole again. I don't see anyone from Mercedes being able to compete against Alonzo or Ferrari. And Stroll, I just don't think he's quite on Alonzo's level when it comes to eking out that car as much as Alonzo does. My in it, I'm going to say Alonzo because I'm going to I being shut out last week, I've got to grab points somewhere, and that's a guaranteed point to be in it is Alonzo, I feel. Now watch him Bennett. Um, that'd be my luck. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'll worry about that. <laughs> and my Bennett. I think it's gonna be Albon. I'm gonna I just feel, actually, I don't think he wrecks. I think he has a mechanical failure, too, on it. Yeah, DNF's a DNF, man. Yeah. Man. He's going to be a mechanical failure, but it's a DNF, so it still counts as a Bennett. So that's going to be my picks. Uh, But, yeah, Antonio, what do you got this week? All right, everybody. Unfortunately, I had to bail out of the uh, podcast a bit early, so I'm going to be hopping on my mobile device to be doing my uh, in it, win it, Bennett, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so since I got shafted and going last this week, uh, and we can't pick the same win it pick, my win pick is going to be uh, Lance Stroll. Uh, my in pick, which I don't know, Norma told me we can't pick the same person, but I'm pretty sure we said in and Ben could be the same person. So you know, so you know what, in is going to be Charles Leclerc because we already know. Come on, man, he's gonna do great. And my Ben pick this week. Uh, you know what? I'm thinking with Sonoda this week. I know uh, he just came off a points haul. Uh, Levi bet on him last week. 
But uh, you know what? I'm going with that. That's my pick for tonight. So let's see how it goes. Well, lap yeah. 14, guys, that was killer. Way yes, sir. Miami Grand Prix coming up. We've got the regular weekend back. And huge, so. Again, a huge thanks for Josh Green coming out with us tonight. Yes. Uh, can't 100%. thank him enough. Yeah, again, make sure to check out uh, joshgreenracing.com. Um, very cool website and logo, by the way, Josh. I know you're listening to this back. Very cool. Um, really happy to have you on there. Also, check out our Discord. You can find the invite to our Discord in um, the show notes for all of these episodes. Uh, check out LeagueZero.net if you'd like to get on track with us. We would love to see you there. Feedback. We want to take this in the direction that you wanted to go. Um, so uh, get on our Say Discord. Something. Yeah, please. Say we, something. Please. It's going to lead you down all kinds of cool rabbit holes, um, including <laughs> our League Discord, amongst others. So... Um, I'm sure you won't regret it. And uh, we will see you next week. Oh, yeah. GPS at Nuremberg this weekend. Bye. Yes, I can't do that. 1,000 kilometer race, five hours.